right, welcome back to Sports Waves, Malibu's only sports talk podcast here. We're recording from the PGM podcast studio with masks on, unfortunately, but it is great to be back recording a podcast in person. This is Carl Winter, your co-host, joined today by our co-host Austin Lede and by a special guest. It's Spencer Wickens, an outside hitter for Pepperdine Men's Volleyball. And we have so much to talk about because it was an incredible weekend in the NFL playoffs in the divisional round. Four incredible games that all came down to the very last play, so we'll discuss that, and then we'll talk a little bit with Spencer about his team and Pepperdine Athletics in general. So, Spencer, why don't you introduce yourself, and one thing we like to ask our guests is, who do you root for in the sports world? What are your loyalties and uh, biases? Yeah, sweet. Thanks for having me on the show. Um, I'll try to stay away from the traditional Syllabus Week intro, but I'm Spencer Wickens, uh, grad student on the men's volleyball team. Um, I have a wide variety of teams I root for. Um, I'm from New York originally, but none of my teams are kind of from New York, so I kind of go around. But you know, sadly for me, this past weekend, I am a Packers fan, so that was a tough tough showing for me and tough for us. Um, I root for the Lakers in basketball and then the Giants in baseball, so a wide variety of teams. It's not very untraditional, but it is what it is. Got it. Yeah, I'm sure you'll have some good insight to give us as we get into the NFL games then. So why don't we jump right into it with the time that we have, because it was such a great weekend. I mean, honestly, one of the best weekends that I can remember in NFL history, just with every game, unlike the wildcard round where four of the games weren't close, all four of these games were gripping, three walk-off field goals by the visiting team, and then a walk-off win for the home team in overtime in the fourth game. We'll get into each of them. But Austin, just what was your reaction to all four of these games? I mean, it just seemed to get better and better as the weekend went on. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it was just playoff football. I think every team competing as hard as they can and no one wants to lose. And it was just like one of the best weekends of football I can remember in a while. Just like so close and so many good offenses and defenses. So it was fun to watch for sure. Yeah, absolutely. It got started off on the right foot with kind of an underdog Bengals team going to the number one seed Titans on Saturday afternoon. And obviously Joe Burrow has been incredible all year and the Titans turn the ball over in the final minutes of the game and the Bengals are able to hit a long walk-off field goal to send them to the AFC Championship game. Spencer, I know you caught this game, Austin. I don't know if you did. What was your guys' reaction to kind of the Bengals being able to pull off a shocker? I don't know if many people had them already in the AFC Championship game this year just because they're such a young team. You know, I really thought the Bengals had a good chance to win in going into it. You know, Derrick Henry was, you know, coming off an injury. It was just you know, just coming off. So I didn't think the Titans had a great shot, and I just really thought that the Bengals were just hot. Their offense was just spectacular, you know, throughout the season, and Burrow was a great leader for that team, um, and Jamar Chase was just ridiculous. But the Titans put themselves in a great spot. They kind of had that blunder in the end, and that's really what did it. But all in all, that was a, that was a good game. Yeah, Tannehill kind of just holds the Titans back, I think, and Burrow just elevates everyone around him, and I think we saw that. I mean, Burrow got sacked, what, like nine times, still threw for 300 yards, still led him down the field for a game-winning field goal. So I just think that it shows an average quarterback for an above-average quarterback. Absolutely. I thought the way the Titans played that last three minutes, I thought they deserved to lose, honestly, because I thought they were just playing incredibly conservatively, and it was tough because it was Henry's first game back from injury, so you can't fault him entirely for not being super productive but just the way they played that seemed like they were playing for overtime to me, or they, they weren't calling their timeouts. They were just being very conservative, and so I didn't really feel too bad for them when they turned the ball over and then gave up the long field goal to end it. But little did we know that would arguably be one of the least interesting games of the weekend because it just got <laughs> weirder after that. Saturday night we have 49ers and Packers in a frigid game. 
where there's snow coming down in the whole second half. Offense was hard to come by. There was one offensive touchdown scored the entire game, and it was on the very opening drive. So the way it ended was wild. I mean, the Packers concede a special teams touchdown on a blocked punt, and then the Niners are able to win on a walk-off Robbie Gold field goal. So just heartbreaking for the top-seeded Packers. What was your reaction toward the end of this game, Spencer? I'm sure it was an absolutely maddening game to watch as a Packer fan. Well, the game was exactly what you wanted to start with for a Packer fan. Frigid weather, um, home field advantage, but sadly the other team we were playing were the 49ers. We've had our number the past few times we've played them in the playoffs. So, I don't know. Uh, Jimmy G just got carried you know, by the rest <laughs> of his team, and they put themselves in a good spot at the end, being within one score and just made a great special teams play. Yeah, I mean, the Packers' special teams has been awful all season, so that's kind of the, the story of it. Um, but, you know, what's your reaction to, to Rodgers, you know, uncertainty in the offseason now? him He's gotten clowned a lot on social media, and I think rightfully so just for the way this ended. And you can't put the special teams touchdown on him, of course, or the missed mm-hmm. field goal or anything, but just, you know, kind of he's always been this uber-talented, incredible quarterback, but just falling short once again. Yeah, you can't put the special teams touch on him, but you can put 10 points, you know, largely on his shoulders. You know, the run game never really got going, which was tough, but um, just we didn't really see much, you know, many drives, long drives, driving on the field, looking to score. It was just kind of soft, short throws. Just it wasn't what you would normally see out of Aaron. Yeah. Austin, did you think either team really deserved to win this game? It was such a, such a strange game. I think the 49ers' defense and special teams deserved to win the game because that's the only, only units that showed up. And, I mean, it just shows you that all three phases of the game really matter because people kind of just throw off special teams, and they literally won the game for them. So, yeah. Yeah, it brings me back to one of my favorite stats of all time in sports, which is one year the Chargers had the best, the number one ranked offense and the number one ranked defense and somehow didn't make the playoffs despite winning 10 games. So special teams <laughs> matters. And it, it, especially in the playoffs when every possession counts or in a low-scoring game like that where there's only one offensive touchdown. So a brutal ending for the Packers. The Niners mm-hmm. continue. I mean, they've been on a hot streak ever since they started 3-5. and five. So let's move on to Sunday. Rams-Bucks was a wild game. I mean, 27-3, to three, the Rams had the lead at one point. They fumbled four times. They lost four fumbles kind of on, in like six or seven drives. They blow the entire lead. The Bucks tie it up 27-27, and then the Rams are able to orchestrate, I think, a 43-second drive for the game-winning field goal. Austin, you as a Rams fan had to have been losing your mind throughout the second half of that game, so can you kind of just walk us through your emotions and thoughts during and after? Yeah, so, okay, during the second quarter when it was, like, 27, or I don't know if it was 27-3 in the second, but they pulled up, like, oh, biggest deficit Tom Brady's had since the Falcons Super Bowl, and I was like, why would, why would you put that up there? Like, that just makes us... Like, it's jinxing us. But, yeah, I mean, I almost had a heart attack throughout this whole entire game. Like, it was pretty frustrating to watch. I mean, having four turnovers and none of them be on Stafford, really. Like, everyone's talking about going to playoffs. So he's, like, throwing picks and having all these turnovers. I mean, Cam Akers fumbling twice, Cooper Cup fumbling. It was just we were punching ourselves in the face, and we— But then eventually, I mean, Cooper Cup, man. If no one's got me, Cooper Cup's got me. <laughs> Real MVP of the league, not Aaron Rodgers. But I know it's a regular season award, but, I mean, Cooper Cup. I mean, I think at 100 yards at half— that big play, and I'm just glad we won. A win's a win, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those instances where I wish the MVP included the postseason just because rarely does a receiver or running back get it anyway, so I would love to see that happen because it usually just goes to the quarterback with the best numbers, which it probably will again. But, yeah, just a wild game. I mean, Tom Brady just seems to, whenever he gets in a hole, just has all the luck in the world on his side. And, you know, greatness aside, like, get— your defense forces four fumbles. 
the opposing team misses a field goal. They go three and out a couple times. But, you know, the Rams and Stafford were able to exercise their demons and get the victory. Spencer, any reaction to that? You know, after the fact, just seeing, holy cow, Brady face this huge deficit again, got back from it, but still wasn't able to get it done. Yeah, I mean, I didn't see much of this game, but, you know, luck kind of goes to the teams and the people that put themselves in good positions. You know, Brady's been there, it feels like hundreds of times, you know, in this situation, tough games, end of the game, close score. And, you know, thankfully for the Rams, they were able to pull it out. Yeah, absolutely. And that was that was a crazy one. I thought that they needed to get it in regulation when they got the ball back. And thankfully for them, they did. Because as we know from the next game we're about to talk about, overtime can kind of get you based on the coin toss. Um, so we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, Bills and Chiefs, final game Sunday night. And this, I don't think, I think it kind of goes without saying this was the best game of the weekend. I mean, some people were calling this best game of the season, best game of all time. I don't know about that latter, but it was wild. I mean, it was 26-21 with, I think, two minutes left, and the final score ended up being 42-36. So that just shows how wild it was with lean changes in the final two minutes. It was really just a matter of, did the Bills give the Chiefs too much time? Did the Chiefs give the Bills too much time? Did the, and so on and so forth for the final two minutes of the game. So, I mean, Austin, what, what was your kind of instant reaction and just how much joy did you get out of watching this game? I mean, I loved watching this game, kind of having no dog in the fight. Yeah, so I kind of watched the first half, and then I had to do something, so I couldn't watch until the fourth quarter, and then it was like five minutes left, and I was like, oh my god, I'm so glad I watched this game. But yeah, I mean, the Chiefs got the ball back with 13 seconds left to get in field goal range, and I was like, I think Mahomes is going to do this. Like, I think he'll get in field goal range. He did, obviously, and then I think the overall time rules, like, people can complain about it, but like, I mean, the rules are rules. Like, it's not going to change. Even though I think they should change, I think college rules are much better for overtime because, like, everyone gets a chance to have a ball, and, like, it's red zone offense. That's what everyone wants to see. Like, that's the most fun, like, touchdowns and stuff. So, I mean, overall, great game. Josh Allen, wonderful performance. Can't take anything away from him, but Mahomes has been in this situation plenty of times, just like Brady already in his young career, and um, he pulled it out again. So, yeah. Yeah, I actually disagree. I mean, I've been one of the few people that I think I'm actually a proponent of the way it is now, and I see that the argument that the, the coin toss shouldn't have as much weight as it does and but I also don't think you can use this one game to make your whole argument that the rules should change. And I'm glad they changed it to a touchdown win, so you still can't win with the field goal. But at the same time, I I think the I disagree with you in that I think the college overtime rules are gimmicky. I do think though. I mean, it's an offensive base league. Everyone wants to see offense, but and and it is very exciting in college. But those games can also drag on forever. Also, I just think. It's gimmicky in the sense that it's like a penalty kicks in soccer or a shootout in hockey where it doesn't really determine who the better team is because football is not just about 25-yard drives. I mean, it's about putting together an extended drive, and it's also about defense. I mean, people can say that Allen should have gotten the chance, but also, I mean, the Bills' defense really blew the game for them time and time again. So it, it's controversial. Spence, where do you stand on that, just overtime rules? NFL versus college or just in general? I mean, yeah, for me, 13 seconds was, seemed like, you know, the game was over. You know, you hear it all the time. You know, don't leave time on the clock for these great quarterbacks. And, you know, 13 minutes or 13 seconds, I didn't feel like it was possible, but then Mahomes proved me wrong. So that was great. But with the overtime rules, I think it would be interesting if they let the team respond, even if the touchdown scored. You know, the college rules are pretty cool. They're interesting. It makes things super exciting. But especially for regular season, having these prolonged games with these you know, huge guys. It might, it might see a few more injuries, but that might be one downside of it. But, you know, definitely in the playoffs, um, it'd be very cool to have, you know, the team have a chance to respond. If the Bills had a chance to, you know, score a touchdown the way the game was going, maybe they could have tied it. 
maybe the score could have been 130 to 123, like the meme said online. So um, it would have been very interesting to see for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I do agree that I think if you keep prolonging the games, well, I think there's just no perfect solution because if you say the Bills get a chance and then the next score wins, I mean, it's the same issue. The, yeah. the Chiefs mm-hmm. still win because they won the coin toss versus if you say play out the whole overtime period, you're running the risk, one, that it's an incredibly long game, two, that you're just going to have another one and another one. And then it just becomes who's better conditioned and whatever, not necessarily who's the better football team. So, But honestly, an incredible game. I feel awful for Josh Allen because he played unbelievable. I mean, he might have been mm-hmm. the best quarterback in the playoffs. He's He had, what, nine touchdowns, no interceptions in two games, and somehow he didn't win. I mean, it was just a, it was just that kind of weekend. The Titans had nine sacks. They lost. The Bucks forced four fumbles. They lost. The Packers gave up six offensive points. They lost. So just an unreal weekend, and... I guess we can jump into the conference championships, but for me, it was just, I mean, it was a joy to watch. As a sports fan, you just can't ask for anything better than that. Definitely. All right, well, before Austin has to run, let's just real quick run through these conference championship games. I don't know if they're going to live up to what we just saw in the divisional round, but but good games on paper. My question for the AFC title game is, I mean, the Bengals have to go into the Chiefs' house, who have now hosted the AFC title game four years in a row, which is impressive. What... <laughs> does Joe Burrow need to do to win this game? I mean, we know he's going to kind of have to put the team on his back the way Josh Allen did. What is it going to take for him to somehow pull this off? Um, I think, well, I think overall the Bengals are just going to have to establish a run game because they can't just keep dropping back Joe Burrow because the Chiefs can bring pressure. Their defense has been pretty good since mid-year, and I think you can't just rely on Joe Burrow the whole time because that's kind of what the Bills did, and it almost worked, but the Bills have a way better roster than the Bengals, so I think they're going to have to be balanced the whole game. And obviously keep everything in front of them on defense and limit Mahomes being on the field as much as they can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the defense is going to play a huge role in this game, how much they can limit the Chiefs in their just lethal offense. I think for Joe Burrow, throw the ball to Jamar Chase. Let that man do his thing and be creative downfield and get him in open space and you know hopefully get some in good scoring positions. And also I think if Joe can continue to like just prolong the plays, you know, like you said before, he was sacked nine times, you know, I don't think it's going to cut it when you're playing the Chiefs. Yeah, I agree. I think for me, I'll be rooting for the Bengals. I think a lot of people will just because it's more fun to see new blood unless you're a Chiefs fan. Um, So for the Bengals, I I personally think they're still a year away. Like they need a piece or two on defense, piece or two on the offensive line. But I mean, to make it this far in basically year two of Burrow is, is pretty impressive. All right, NFC Championship game real quick is on Sunday night. We've got Austin's Rams hosting the 49ers. And if they win, they'll get to host the Super Bowl just like the Bucks did. Last year, so Austin, the Rams 0-2 against the Niners this year. It's notoriously been a team that they've had trouble with. I know even early in the playoffs, you said, I don't really want to see them again. And here you are. You're going to have to see them. So what do the Rams need to do? It is hard to beat a team three times in a season, so that's a good thing. But what do the Rams need to do to get over this hump? Yeah, that's how I keep telling myself. It's hard to beat a team three times in a season. But, I mean, I'm kind of with Spencer. The Niners kind of just own us. They've, they're 6-0, and actually, against us the last six games. So... I mean, we just have to stop Debo Samuel and George Kittle. That's all Jimmy G throws to. Jimmy G is not a very good quarterback. I will say that over and over again. Um, our, our offense looks amazing the last the last few games. I mean, against the Cardinals, we were scoring like almost every drive. In the first half of the um, first half of the Bucks game, we looked incredible. We just got to cut down on the turnovers. I mean, obviously Stafford's not doing it, so this ball security, stopping the run is going to be the number one thing, and just putting points up on the board. And, yeah, I'm still nervous, though. Very nervous <laughs> guy. But 
All right. Yeah, Spencer, you saw this Niners team. I mean, is it is it as simple as Austin says? Just get the ball into Debo, Samuel, and George Kittle's hands? Is that you, what you think they need to do? I mean, if you're a Niners fan, that's kind of what you've ride or died on you know, the season so far, especially giving the ball to Debo as a running back. You know, he's been a stud. Um, other than that, just keep promoting your defense. That defense has been great. You know, they held, they held us to 10 points, and if they can hold the Rams to 10 points or less or you know, anything close to that, they have a good chance of winning. Yeah, I think the Niners need to be fully healthy as well. They had some guys that are banged up, so could be a factor. Also could be a factor, uh, you know, the, the home crowd advantage. I know the Niners travel pretty well to L.A., so we'll see what that crowd is like. I know the tickets are very expensive, so we'll see which uh, <laughs> which team shows up. All right, well, we are college students, and Austin has class in a couple minutes, so we're going to let him go to that while Spencer and I talk Pepperdine. Austin, great talking NFL with you this week. Great talking. Go Rams. Thank you, Austin. All right, Spencer, we kind of did this episode a little bit backwards in that we usually talk Pepperdine first and then go to just national sports. But now let's move over to Pepperdine. For those listening who don't know, Spencer and I are on the Waves Leadership Council, so we kind of run a group there called the Waves Family. So it's our mm-hmm. job to kind of promote and you know, just follow all of our teams, and which we try to do anyway as student-athletes and support everyone. So just real quick, going around the horn on Pepperdine Athletics. I mean, it's been a tough start for both men's and women's basketball in the WCC, which is very tough conference in basketball, and both winless so far. But so hopefully, but both young teams, hopefully they can turn that around. Both tennis teams started off with top 15 matchups. I mean, those programs don't mess around. The women barely lost to number nine Cal, whereas the men just beat number 15 Arizona. So that was big time for them. Men's golf had their season opening tournament this year as they are defending a national championship. And of course, your team as well. So just what are you looking forward to watching in other sports that are not yours um, for the Waves during the spring semester? Yeah, I mean, the good thing about the basketball team is that they're young. You know, they're going to learn, you know, through this season, and hopefully they can improve on it. Um, and that's all you want to do. All you want to do is get a little bit better so by the end of the year you're playing your best ball. And if they can look back on the season and kind of see where their growth was versus, you know, seeing, you know, the losses, I think that's where they can gain from it. Um, I'm excited for the tennis teams, especially, you know, the women's tennis team. It was amazing last year watching on graduation day, you know, pulling it up on the big screen and watching them play in the finals. And I think they'll put themselves in a good situation again this year, you know, to put themselves deep into the NCAA tournament. Um, the men's team, they had a great fall as well as the women, but we had both um, in the Southwest Regional Final, uh, Andrew Roger, Petra Fillon, uh, both made the finals for the men's side, and I'm pretty sure Lisa won the women's side as well. So, I mean, Waves Tennis is absolutely rolling, at least in the fall, and I hope they carry that over to the spring as well. Yeah, absolutely, and great coaches too. I mean, we know Adam Schechterly and Perrin Nilsson always get the job done. I mean, the women lost Ashley Leahy and Jess Phelan. They're, they're still ranked number two in the country going into this year just because they're always able to reload, and that's what happens when you're that good. I mean, it's it's not tough to attract talent when you have a program as good as they do. So it mm-hmm. should be exciting, and also men's golf is still stacked. So, I mean, there's no reason that they shouldn't contend for another national title this year. Yes, men's golf is very exciting to watch. They were great, you know, in their national championship game last year. And we have most of those guys back. You know, Dylan's a great guy um, to kind of lead us to this charge. Joey Verge coming back as a fifth-year guy. You know, those two are going to be really big, you know, in the in their season this year. Absolutely, and women's golf perennially top 25 as well. So 
just a lot of really successful programs. We're excited for beach volleyball and baseball to kick off, which will be later in February. So lots of good stuff happening. Let's move over to men's volleyball for Pepperdine. You guys started off the year ranked in the top five and are still right there. So three and one to start the year after three or after four games, three quick sweeps and then kind of a setback at home against UCSB. So can you just kind of walk me through those first few games, what it was like to actually get back into the gym against competition that's not just each other in practice Mm -hmm. and, you know, the confidence built in those first three games and how to bounce back from the first loss? Yeah. So um, the first two games against Erskine, you never know what the conference of the Carolina schools are going to be like, you know. A lot of times, I mean, they always get a team into the tournament because the winner of the conference goes to the tournament. Right. And so they can always surprise somebody. There was always a big win that some of those schools have during the year. So it was good to kind of have those two matches under our belt and, you know, see where we stand against those teams. So those were cool games to have. In Princeton, the third game, that was a pretty wild game. They have a pretty, you know, stellar roster of guys that go because if you're a men's volleyball player and you can get into Princeton, it's, it's almost hard to say no. So they get they get a lot of guys from all over the country that are super talented you know, are involved in the USA pipeline. Um, and they just have, they're always dangerous each year. So we played them a couple of years ago on the NCAA quarterfinals. And they took us to five sets and we were probably a heavily favored team. Mm-hmm. And they, they almost shocked us. So, and we know it, we know how well they can play. We know how talented they are. So it was excited. It was really, you know, good for us to get that win as well. Yeah, absolutely. And then UCSB five setter. I mean, it's always tough when it goes to five because that fifth set just, you know, kind of goes by really quickly. And, you know, obviously it didn't end up going our way, but they're a tough team. They knocked us out of the NCAA tournament last year. So just, you know, what was that like and how do you learn from that? I mean, odds mm-hmm. are nobody's going to go undefeated. So uh, just how do you guys bounce back from that? Yeah, we were look, really looking forward to playing them after, you know, last year's loss in the NCAA tournament. Um, they, de- they have a different look. They didn't. They lost four key guys, but they, you know, like a lot of men's level teams, uh, they just cycle guys through really talented guys and, you know, they're the same scrappy, defensive, you know, good ball control team that they've always have been. Um, and that was a tough matchup for us. They just kept digging us, you know, block-wise. They just got their hands on everything, and they made a lot of serves that just to put a lot of pressure on us. And that's kind of how the game was. They put a lot of pressure on us to execute, and then we kind of, you know, slowly kind of lost it for ourselves. I think talking after the match, we outscored them 80 to 64 in points, but we had almost probably 60 errors serving and attacking together, which, you know, is very hard to win when you have those kind of numbers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I did think they looked pretty impressive defensively. I mean, the, the block was solid, and, and they, you know, they kind of just were able to neutralize us a little bit. But, yeah, I think you mentioned we had close to 30 service errors. So, I mean, it's tough because you want to put pressure on the other team service-wise and, and serve tough because that's what you need to do to be successful. So how do you guys kind of mm-hmm. balance that just – you know, trying to serve tough and put pressure on the other team, but also you have to control it and give yourselves a chance. Yeah, I mean, we just emphasize the first touch as much as we can and emphasize the next play. You know, if you keep thinking about, you know, the result of the last play, especially if it didn't go well, it's going to probably loom over yourself and it'll carry over to the next points, which, you know, you kind of have, have, me- kind of have to have the memory of a goldfish when you're playing because there's so many points that just happen over and over again, repeat, repeat. You're going to have to do the same thing over again. If I miss my serve... Uh, there's chances are I'm going to have to serve again that next that same set. So just having a short memory and getting back into the groove of things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you mentioned playing Princeton back in the NCAA tournament, 2018-19. That was actually the first year I was at Pepperdine. the first year I got to see you guys play. Um, and, and that was obviously a great team that just ran into a Long Beach State team who was historically great and ended up winning the national title that year in the pyramid. But... You know, this team, you're basically the lone holdover from that team who was a consistent rotation player. So completely different team this year. Can you just talk about 
the depth this year. I mean, that year basically we had seven or eight guys that pretty much played the whole gun, the whole time, and they were incredible. This year, you guys, you know, can plug people in at opposite or or at outside or throw a couple other guys in there to serve. So just talk about the you know the competition in practice and just the depth you guys are able to have this year. Yeah, I think you know with our team this year, a lot of people talk about the challenges of COVID, but one of the blessings from them that we've had was that we got to return a lot of guys. I wouldn't be here if not for COVID because I didn't, you know, retro my freshman year. I wasn't planning on, you know, staying for five years to begin with, but, you know, a new opportunity arose when they, the NCAA gave us our eligibility back. So, you know, I was able to stay. Alex Gettinger was able to stay. We were able to get Jalen from Stanford when they were considering shutting down their program. You know, he looked up for alternate options for his, you know, best experience that he could have playing. So we were just fortunate to get all these old guys back and, um, just have a really deep team as well as having, you know, a lot of young talent. You know, last year we had three freshmen starting, you know, and it was that's really not common when you have a team make it to the NCAA tournament. Um, and it's really nice to have those guys back again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just, it's impressive to see Jalen, you know, getting there at opposite now and Steele moves over to outside and which isn't a tough thing to do obviously so and mm-hmm. just the way that that Trey Cole is playing at libero as just a true sophomore now and Bryce Dvorak etc so it's been good to see the development and obviously a lot of growing still to do yeah. but it, it's been a fun team to watch so far and you mentioned a team like UCSB who loses a bunch of guys but still is able to reload but one thing I've noticed seemingly this year is that there's not one team that really stands out. I mean, Hawaii are the defending national champions and are always pretty incredible. But, you know, Penn State's really good. Long Beach State's really good. UCLA's really good. We're really good. So, you know, is it fair to say that there's a lot of parity in the country in men's volleyball this year and that uh, there are a lot of different teams that could make a run toward the national championship? Absolutely. I think this is definitely more open to more teams than it has been in the past. I think looking back to 2019, you had Long Beach and Hawaii, you know, some of the best players they had a lot of the you know fifth year fourth year senior guys and just had some of the best talent in the country and now you kind of have seen that talent spread around you know the, getting to the east coast of penn state they have a couple of great players brett wildman cole bogner cal fisher they're all studs um you have you know hawaii who brought back some key players from last year um long beach with spencer oliver mason briggs kind of holding down the fort over there you just have a lot of talent in a lot of different places which is fun to see and you also have these other teams that you know, got some new guys as well. USC, who, you know, had an all right year last year. They had a good year 2019. They got a transfer from UCLA, Sam Cobrine. He's playing outside, new position. Um, and they're off to a great start. They beat Penn State. Um, they have a couple of good wins against some really good teams already. So they're going to be excited to play against as well. Yeah, MPSF's going to be tough this year and outside of the conference as well. I mean, the good thing about losing to Santa Barbara the other day is that you get them again in the next week. So that's going to be a challenge. Lewis is coming to town, I think, this week. Yeah, Lewis is top seven team. You know, they just lost to Long Beach in four um, in a grudge match. So that's going to be exciting to play them. They have one of the most talented players probably in all college volleyball, Tyler Mitchum. He's a 6'11", stud middle blocker from Chicago who, you know, is looking to play, you know, pro, USA, all that kind of stuff. So that's going to be very exciting to play against him and his squad. Yeah, so should be challenging all the way through, but should be exciting all the way through. And expect our team to be able to contend and it won't be easy so it should be mm-hmm. a fun year last thing for you spencer i mean for those listening that don't really know spencer's story i mean as i mentioned he was playing on that 2018-19 team but you were more you know coming in to serve here or there you could play libero if the great noah dyer was not playing that game <laughs> or whatever but now you've moved over to an outside hitter kind of being a leader on this team kind of being a go-to guy obviously now you're 
you're a graduate student. So just what's that been journey like that journey been like and what is it what did it take, you know, in the gym, in the weight room to be able to make that transition and be like, I I can contribute to this team at any position that I can. Mm-hmm. I think for me, just throughout the years, just keeping an open mind and a positive mind. You know, coming in, I always imagined myself playing libero for Pepperdine. That's what I was recruited for. That's kind of always what I wanted to do at the next level. And then when I was a freshman, we had Weston Barnes, Noah Dyer, some great liberos that, that we already had and that earned the spot in front of me. I was able to kind of earn some time throughout the year, you know, with some injuries, of course, um, and kind of earned my way on the court from being a serving sub to a guy that played in defense. So, I mean, that was that was awesome when it was. And then 2020 was a new opportunity. We had uh, a good transfer, uh, Diego Perez, who came in and beat me out at Libero. And then I had, that's, you know, that was definitely a struggle for me, you know, where I thought I had a really good chance to contribute more to the team playing-wise. But, you know, we had a situation where we had some guys get hurt. We had some pin hitters go down. And then Coach David Hunt asked me if I wanted to play some outside in practice. And then kind of just took off from there. Um, connected well with the setters, just, you know, try to use my volleyball IQ from growing up and just competing, you know, each day just to make a difference wherever I could and, you know, kind of earn my way up from being, you know, a libero serving sub to contributing as outside. So just keeping that open mind, keeping a positive mind definitely helped me out throughout the first four years. Yeah, yeah. it's It's been impressive to watch that transition and just watching you hit up there. I mean, you and Joe Carlos, who was a setter on the team for a little bit. I mean, just the elevation you guys are able to get as guys who are not six feet tall, able to jump up there, you know, at the same height that, you know, whatever, six foot ten Austin Wilmot <laughs> is able to get up there. Just, you know, the the vertical that you guys have to be able to do that. I mean, what's that like just getting up there and, and banging at the net and kind of playing bigger than you are? I mean, it's fun. You almost play like you have nothing to lose. You have, you know, I'm looking across the net in practice and I see, you know, Jalen, Austin, uh, Jacob Steele, which is 6'7", 6'10", 6'8", and it's like, okay, what do I have to lose here? If I get blocked, there's a good chance I get blocked anyway, so you might as well just swing as hard as you can and try to go, you know, make a play. So it's just fun. It's also, you know, really competitive, you know, with the taller guys, with the bigger guys. So it's fun to get edgy with them and just compete because you have to compete harder to be able to play at this level. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, Spencer. Well, I think we're about out of time. Is there anything you want to add just that you're looking forward to any of the sports world in your own season or in uh, Pepperdine Waves athletics? I'm excited for the Waves in general. I love, you know, being a part of this school, you know, really uh, who cares about their athletics a lot. And, you know, fortunate enough, we have a lot of successful athletic teams on our campus, which is a pretty small campus. So I'm excited for the Waves in general. You know, for us, I'm excited to bounce back and just to play some great teams moving forward. All right. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us, Spencer. It was great to have you here and to be able to be in person has been a lot of fun. So you mentioned it was the first podcast you've ever done. So, you know, what was the final review? Dude, it's great. I like it. I like the way I sound in this microphone. It's not too bad. It's cool. It's cool being back on campus doing things like this again. So. All right. Thank you. That was Spencer Wickens. And that's all for us here on the third episode of 2022 here on Sports Waves. Thanks for listening. This episode of Sports Waves. My name is Carl Winter. I was your co-host today, and I was joined by my co-host, Austin Lede. You can follow us on Twitter at SportsWavesPod for updates on the podcast, polls about professional sports, and information on upcoming episodes. 
Sportsways is a Pepperdine Graphic Media podcast production. You can follow Pepperdine Graphic Media on Twitter and Instagram at PepGraphic. That's at P-E-P-P Graphic for updates on other PGM podcasts. Or go to our website, PepperdineGraphic.com, for updates and more content regarding PGM podcast productions. Thank you for listening.